All right, so again, my name's Tim, Timmy, whatever you want to call me. Just don't call me late for dinner. People call me all sorts of stuff. My family actually has made a habit before of, um, well, just a person or two, has called me sweet tea before. Don't call me that. that that's, that's weird. Um, T3, like the Terminator, that's a thing. I'm rambling already. So um, I'm Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. And we're just continuing our study uh, entitled Kings and Kingdoms. And so every week we take one of the texts that we've read in our Bible reading plan from the previous week, and that becomes the text for the sermon on Sunday morning. We do that in hopes that we can all gain a deeper and more familiar understanding with the word. Um, we're not here for gimmicks. We're not here to check it off the list. We're here because we actually believe the word matters here. Amen? And we're looking to actually understand the word. And sometimes that takes a couple times, right? Sometimes you read it and you go, huh? Say what? And you got to read it again. And then you got you to get in your D group and you got to say, what? And then you still don't know. And you talk amongst yourselves. And then you come here and, and someone preaches about it. And hopefully you get like a millimeter closer to understanding. And so we're all in process doing this together. Um, but we really want to, through repetition, understand and apply the word. So Proverbs 31 is one of the texts that we have read this week. And so we're just going to spend some time meditating on that, understanding the context, the literary genre of it, and then just actually reading through the text and, and seeing the main points of what the writer is saying about a worthy woman. So... I already see a little countdown clock back there. And last week, I preached somewhere else, and it was 57 minutes. So I'm not going to do that to you. And so we're just going to jump right in. So the title is Worthy to be Praised, and our study is on Proverbs 31. So I'd like you to just turn to verse 10, and we'll jump right into the text for the sake of time. So as you are turning there, we did kind of an overview of Proverbs this week. And throughout the book of Proverbs the writer uses the example of women to illustrate points of wisdom and folly. And so there are several female characters that emerge throughout the text as a way to understand the topic. So at the beginning, in the first chapter, you see the woman of wisdom. Wisdom is personified as a woman calling out in the streets and saying, somebody actually, you know, I'm pursuing you. Do you pursue wisdom? And, and so in the midst of the book of Proverbs, after the woman of wisdom, you did all sorts of women um, that are not so appealing. Uh, women uh, that illustrate um, overbearingness. I don't know a better way to say that, but uh, boisterousness. Um, you, you see passages that say like, it's better to live on the corner of the roof than to live with a wife that is being nagging and overbearing. And so that's not meant to be um, sexist in any way, but to illustrate the fact that that character trait is something that's undesirable and unwise from a biblical perspective. But the character of a woman is, is showed in order to illustrate this truth about wisdom. And so you have all these other traits that would take way too long to get into uh, that are personified by a woman. And then you get all the way to Proverbs 31 at the very end. And this lady sounds a whole lot like what you read about in Proverbs chapter 1. It's a recapitulation. It's another way to show um, what wisdom looks like. And so Proverbs 31 is a song of praise. 
about a godly woman. Now, a lot of people have interacted with Proverbs 31 in the past, and sometimes it creates foggy understandings or misunderstandings, and we will get into that. But as we go into this text, realize that it's a song of praise for the godly woman. So hear the word of the Lord here, starting in verse 10. God's word says, An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the dye staff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out those hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself, and her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them, and delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, and her husband also, and he praises her like this. He says, many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Here's the verse that you may be familiar with. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. This is God's word for us. Would you pray with me? God, we hear this truth and we long to understand it. We know that you're the giver of wisdom and that wisdom is ultimately personified in your son, Jesus, who lived a perfectly wise life, even comparing himself to the woman of wisdom in Proverbs chapter 1. We understand and confess right now, before we ever even get started, that there's no way that we could ever be perfectly wise, that this standard is not something that we will ever perfectly achieve in this life. And so as we look to understand this text, we first look to you, the perfect source of wisdom, and we worship you for how beautiful it is to be wise. We ask that we could just see a little bit of that beauty this morning and worship you and strive toward a goal and an ideal that we see reflected in you as well as this woman. We pray all this in your name, Lord. Amen. All right. So this is Proverbs 31, all about the example of a godly woman. And here you are staring and maybe making eye contact, but maybe not, with somebody standing behind this pulpit that has a beard. What? The example of a godly woman. So I'm just going to get up here and, and mansplain this to you, right? <laughs> That's not my goal at all. Um, 
And, and so as we look at Proverbs 31 and we look to, to gain a better understanding of it, I want to have a little fun with it. I want to understand it from a literary perspective. And I want all of us, myself included, to have a more realistic picture of why God would put a chapter like this in a book that he tells us to read. Why would he put this standard up here of this woman that just seems so perfect that you might not even like her? You might not want to be her friend. She just seems so too good, way too good. What is this woman hiding that she is that put together? Why, why, would, why would this ever even be in God's book? Why would we need to listen and learn from this passage? Um, do we need to be jealous of this woman? How do we interact with this woman? So that's, that's what I want to put out there. Um, and so as we get started, there, there's really just three parts to what I want to talk about today. We're going to talk about myths, two myths about Proverbs 31. We're just going to be the Discovery Channel and just bust some myths so that we can actually understand the text. After those two myths, we're going to talk about six marks of this woman. How is she characterized? And that'll be where we came out for most of the time. Six marks of a worthy woman. That's what the text calls her. And then we're going to just talk about the overarching message of Proverbs 31. When you're eating lunch today and you're thinking about this text that you've already probably read this week, what do you actually take away from it at the end of the day? So that's kind of where we're going today. So let's just jump right into the myths about Proverbs 31. How many of y'all have heard a message about Proverbs chapter 31 before? Anybody? Yeah? Okay. How many of you have ever been intimidated by the example that Proverbs 31 would set for a godly woman? How many people maybe don't fit the bill? I mean, I have a beard. That's why I'm raising my hand. <laughs> I, don't, I don't fit the bill of that. Um, so I think a lot of our misunderstanding about Proverbs 31 may be helped just with a little bit of background about the genre um, and the audience and maybe a little bit of detail about uh, the original language in which it was written, which I'm not going to read it to you in Hebrew, but there are some details about Hebrew that actually show you purpose in the text. So the first myth that I want to bust is that Proverbs 31 is a checklist for every godly woman. This is not a checklist. The Lord did not put this in here for you to like put your life up against the life of this lady and, and just try to achieve it. That's not what he was going for at all. That only leads to works righteousness and that leads to despondency and that leads ultimately to isolation. I, I mean, I would think if you look at this and you say, this is the example and everybody agrees that this should be the example, how open would I ever naturally be about whether because chances are you're just never going to meet it. You're never going to get it close. And so that could lend itself toward isolation because you don't want to actually be open about whether you're hitting the mark or not. So that whole paradigm is not the way that you should approach this text. This text was not written to be a checklist. This text was written literarily as a song of praise, describing the beauty of a godly life. This poem, which is what it is, is written as an acrostic Anyone know what an acrostic means? So every line of this, um, every two lines in your English Bible, but every verse begins with another letter. And so there are 22 verses in this passage, and there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. So every verse is beginning with B and C and D and E. And it's a way to celebrate the totality of what a godly woman would look like. So it's not meant to be an exhaustive list. 
But it is meant to say, from A to Z, a woman that is wise and that trusts the Lord is a beautiful thing. It would kind of be like those little poems that they get your kids to write for you on Mother's Day. A is for the way that you always slice the apples and put them in my lunchbox. And B is for when you bake those chocolate chip cookies that I love so much. And, you know, you're, that's not the list. You don't like to say, well, your performance rating is not very good this year, Mom, because you only got, that's not what it is. It's a celebration of godliness in this lady's life. So it's a sense of totality of beauty. And like any good poem, the purpose of this one is to draw attention to the often overlooked glory of the everyday. There's an everyday beauty to this lady. And when we see the achievements that are listed, these, achieve, these achievements are not like historically precedent setting. It just looks like a day in the life. And so there is beauty in the mundane walk of godliness that you're doing every single day. It might be easy sometimes if, if you don't work outside the home or, or if you work in a job that you may feel is really repetitive or you just feel like you've been in a rut for a couple of months and you've just done the same thing day in and day out and you don't feel like there's some sort of spiritual progress and you say, Lord, give me a sign. Show me that I have been growing. Uh, I don't live for the fruit, Lord, but I just want to see that we're going somewhere. This passage shows us that there's glory and just plodding along in faith. And there's so much beauty in that. And that's where the Lord really gets to work in us as he makes us look like Jesus. He gets to work in every day. And it's so easy to overlook that. And so this poem is shown um, for the purpose of seeing that there's beauty in that. So I don't agree with everything that um, a lady named Rachel Held Evans um, has written, but she's written some insightful um, analysis of Proverbs 31. And so I'd, I'd like to share just a couple times throughout this message from Rachel Held Evans. She, she holds some views that, you know, you have to eat the meat and spit out the bones and, and use the mind that God has given you and, and advice from people in the church to understand the different positions that uh, people hold. Um, but she, she's just really insightful about Proverbs 31. And she says, as a poem, Proverbs 31 should not be interpreted prescriptively as a job description for all women. Its purpose is to celebrate wisdom and action, not to instruct women everywhere to get married, have children, and take up the loom. What is a loom? I, I know what a loom is, but like, it's not just the glory of being domestic, although there is glory in being domestic if that makes any sense to you at all. So Proverbs 31 is not a checklist. It's a celebration of beauty. And the second myth that I'd like to just dispel is that Proverbs 31 is even written primarily for women. Say what? <laughs> Did y'all know that? The audience of Proverbs 31 is not primarily the godly women, although it shows the example of that godly woman. Proverbs 31 actually begins saying, these are the words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. And so the perspective of this chapter is a loving mother setting out advice for a young man that's in line to be king. And she says, I want you to live a wise life. I want you to be prepared for everything that's ahead. And I don't want you to be hamstrung by poor decisions that you make when you're young. So I want to put advice out there for you to make sure that you'll prosper 
And so Proverbs 31, the description of the woman is actually advice from a mother to a young man about how to seek out a woman of wisdom. The advice is toward the man. The audience is men. And so when we study Proverbs 31 and we talk about the example of godly women, that doesn't mean that men are just like, boop, exempt. Putting that Bluetooth earbud in to make sure that you don't miss anything from the game, you know? Like, that, that's not what this message is. There's so much to, to learn and to obey for men out of Proverbs chapter 31. The only command that can be found in this entire passage, these entire 22 verses, is directed toward men. Isn't that crazy? The only thing that you have in here that you need to obey is directed toward the men. So men are the only ones with takeaways, right? Not, not right. I mean, everyone has takeaways. But listen to this. Honor her for all the work she has done and let her works bring praise at the city gate. That's the only command in this whole passage is for husbands to honor their wives and for husbands to bring out the evidence of her godliness at the city gates, to let her works praise her. And sometimes that means it's a little more active than, than you might think. It, it's pointing out the evidence of grace, pointing out the works that you can see God using in her life because she may have a blind spot right there. So the only command here is addressed toward the men. And Jewish men actually used to obey this command by, ma- I'll make y'all uncomfortable, by making a practice of singing this text to their wives. Right? I mean, I could just like call people out of the crowd and teach you a little ditty or something. <laughs> but these 22 poetic verses were actually put to song. And in the Hebrew culture, the men would sing this sometimes over a meal at the dinner table toward their wives in order to honor them and to remind them that there's evidence of grace in their life and they can see God at work. Husbands, do we remind our wives that God is at work in them? Do we look at that and see that they're not where they used to be a year ago, a year and a half ago, a couple years ago? It might feel so stagnant for them. They might not be able to see it. And the same thing, wives, toward, toward your husbands. Are you pointing out evidence of grace that you can see in each other's lives? Are you showing honor toward that person by showing them Christ at work in them? I'm not perfect at that, but that's the only command that we can see from this text. So those are the two myths about Proverbs 31. It's not a checklist to hold ourselves up to, as if the Bible ever makes us achieve some standard of works righteousness in order to earn God's favor. It's a celebration of beauty. And then also, this is directed toward young men and directed toward husbands in search of a godly wife and in celebration of a godly wife that you have. So those are the myths about Proverbs 31. Let's move quick to the six marks of a godly woman. So I just want to be as intentional about walking through this text and showing the characteristics of beauty that you can find in a godly woman. So there are six of them. And the first one is that she's a trustworthy partner. Verses 10 through 12 say this, an excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. Here's the point here. The heart of her husband trusts her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. So a good supporting, trusting wife is a huge blessing to a man from this text. A woman who partners with her husband 
who's reliable and looks out for his interests, gives a man a security that is greatly lacking in the world, is an invaluable thing. And so in relationships in general, in relationships with our friends and our church members and our coworkers, trust is not a given. Amen? Trust is an earned thing. Trust is something that's painstaking and, and takes so long to build incrementally and just can go away so instantly sometimes. But there's a beauty held up in this text that the heart of her husband trusts her. That wasn't a given. It's not a given today in, in our own marriage, but even less in an, in an era where arranged marriage was the norm. They didn't even have dates to really get to know each other. And all of a sudden, here you are, you're married, and you're building trust on the job right there with, with not even a lot of history behind you. Even in, in Hebrew culture, historians wrote of men routinely locking up their valuables as they headed out the door on the way to work. Because they didn't know this lady yet. What in the world? There's no trust there. How restful is that when you come home and you're like, one, two, three, four, five. Okay, cool. How was your day? The heart of her husband trusts her. How beautiful is that? How great is it? How much of a blessing is it when there's somebody that you can actually share things with in confidence and you know that confidence will be kept? That you can come home after a long day and you can be struggling with, with something of consequence and that you can actually get a sounding board from um, and know that it's not going to be used against you or spread around or compromised in any other way. She's a trustworthy partner. It's a beautiful thing. And it, and it puts her in a, a superlative category before we even get into um, other characteristics about her. She's so excellent that there's a trust that's been built there. Husbands, wives... Where would you say your level of trust is with each other? If it's not perfect, that's okay. Has it been better? Are, are there things that we can be doing to honor each other and, and to slowly build that trust back up? Not demanding it from one another, but understanding that we earn that trust over a long time. How can we be fostering that and building that? And can we ask the Lord for that whenever we just don't even know what to do? So she's a trustworthy partner. The second one here, I'm sorry in advance for how I named this. She's not afraid to sweat. She's not afraid of a little hard work. That's all right. She's marked by industriousness. Listen to verse 13. She seeks wool and flax, warm weather clothing, cool weather clothing, and works with willing hands. She puts her hand to the die staff. Anyone know what a die staff is? I knew Michael would know what a die staff is. I asked Michael what a die staff is. I looked it up, but I could not tell you even what it is. I think you spin stuff. I don't even know. So she puts her hand to the die staff and her hands hold the spindle. Apparently it's like a two-handed thing, whatever this clothes-making process is. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. So this woman is prepared and she knows that things are not just going to fall in her lap and she's not afraid to just put a little elbow grease into things that she knows that God has called her to do. So she's out there seeking wool for the winter to clothe her family and flax for the summer so that they can still get to work. She made her own clothes. And most importantly, that not eating the bread of idleness. She understands the blessing that she can bring to others 
by just putting her hand to the plow and serving other people. So she's not afraid of a little sweat equity. The third one here, this woman cares for her own and then some. Verse 15, she rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. Verse 21, she's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. And then back up to verse 20, she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. So this lady is ensuring that everyone that's under her care are provided for. Her family is provided for, and even portions for um, her household servants are provided for. So her employees and her family, she makes sure that not only do they have the staples, they have anything that they would need to get their job done. Food, clothing, protection. She... This, this quote from a commentator says that she has so internalized her role as a provider that it extends past her immediate responsibilities and out into the community. You ever met someone like that? They're just so caring. They come to that meeting and they got the little like cookies with the little Hershey kiss in the middle of them and you don't even know who she is, but she seems so sweet, so you might as well take a cookie. Like she has such an impulse to just care and you can just tell that it's overflowing. She just wants to provide and she wants to make sure that everyone has what they need to get things done. She knows the importance of equipping her family to serve the Lord. She's prepared well so that she can be intentionally generous. I think this is an important thing for us to camp on it and think about as a church. If God has called us to be strategically generous and God has called us to give out of abundance and out of not abundance, following the example of the, of the Corinthians. If we're to be a radically generous people that imitate the sacrifice of our Lord, then sometimes it takes a little prep to be generous. Y'all know that? Y'all ever gotten in a situation where you really wish that you could help somebody, but you just didn't actually have what they needed? And you said, man, I wish that I could help as much as I felt that I wanted to help. So listen to this again. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She can only reach those hands out and help to the needy because those hands have been at work providing and preparing for things to even be generous with. And so I learned from that as I looked at the example of this lady. She's preparing well so that she can be intentionally generous. Church members, how hard are we working so that we have something to be generous with? Are we working and preparing and, and praying over our resources, saying, how can I steward this the best and waste the least so that when that does come up, I can be selfless and give? How are we organizing our time and our schedules to make time to hang out with other people? You know, that's, that's easy for me. Like, I want to hang out with you. I say that, and then I see you again, and then I see you again. And man, I've wanted to hang out with you for a really long time but I haven't done the work in my schedule to make sure that I actually have some quality time with Jairus. It, it, has, it takes preparation and it takes being intentional. And if we want to serve one another and if we want to be this community that's knit together in love and we want to be this unified body that makes a difference in Hagerstown, it doesn't just happen. It does take pursuing God in prayer, but it also takes a little bit of practical prep we have to actually say, if we're looking for community, if we're looking to make that impact, 
I'm willing to put my money where my mouth is. And sometimes that means saying no to things or even just making a plan to be generous at a later date. I don't want to beat that dead horse too much, but if we really want to make an impact, how are we setting things aside right now so that God can use it in the future? This lady opens her hand to the poor and she's been an example to me. So she cares for her own and then some outside of her home. The fourth one is this lady knows how to hustle. This lady is savvy. This lady understands the marketplace. This lady brings home the bacon. Amen? Look at verse 14. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. Verse 16. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. Verse 18. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. Verse 24. She makes linen garments and sells them and delivers sashes to the merchant. So this lady is, is savvy in the marketplace and she understands how to handle resources. She's that lady that would drive 30 miles to use that coupon. And you know, like the gas may not even justify the deal that you got. Or you know those scratch and dent stores that are only open on Saturdays and they're like way up there and you know you could get that like Patrick Cliff bars for like three cent or something like that. And so you schedule everything in your day so you can go to that store. She's like that. She brings her food from afar. I don't know. I know that's not in the text. She's educated about the world and the world of business. She knows how to use her skills. Here's the point. She knows how to use her skills to provide for her family. And she's not afraid to go interact with that world, whether it be as a seller or a buyer. She's bold enough to start at home lighting the lamp before the day even begins and preparing intentionally so that everybody else would have what they need, but then to leave that home and and to turn a profit and to really understand and be confident enough um, to make that contribution there. She knows how to use her strengths to her best advantage, and she fully realizes how valuable her efforts are. So she's confident in a healthy way and functioning as, as a member of the household there. Number five, she's strong in the Lord. Verse 17, she dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. Verse 22, she makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Verse 25, strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. Verse 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. So this kind of goes in the same vein as, as the confidence there. She's making sure that her appearance, her, her appearance is reflecting that respected position that she has in the community. She's making sure that she's open, available, even inviting people in so that she can bless them and she can serve them. Her greatest strength here in this text is not necessarily all of the skills that are mentioned, but it's her wisdom, her accurate judgment about the world and her influence in it. And she doesn't hoard that wisdom. She's quick to share it because she wants to encourage others to reach their own potential. So she knows her own strengths and she leverages those strengths, but her heart is to serve. And that's not just for women, all of us. How can we leverage our strengths to be serving other people as we hone our gifts and we get better and better and more skilled and more skilled and more marketable and and people recognize and affirm the skills and talents that God has given us? 
how easy it is to be tempted to just leverage them for our, our own good or our own comfort or, or just more money or more whatever we want. But this lady has honed all of those skills and then turns right around with a selfless heart and encourages other people. And finally, her work bears fruit. Verse 28 through the end. Her children rise up and call her blessed and her husband also. And he praises her. Singing that song, many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. So charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. You know, if you think about it, verse 31 could be a pretty scary thing, depending on your works. Give her of the fruit of her hands. In this last week, what if somebody gave you the, the fruit of your hands? Where would we be? Where would I be? If somebody gave me the fruit of my hands over the last three months, would I be encouraged? Would I be strengthened? Or, or, or would I not be? We, we have to turn our, our hearts and our minds and we have to say, Lord, where are my works directed? The writer of Proverbs says earlier to ponder the path of your feet. Where, where are things taking you? What are the signs in your life? Are they headed towards selflessness and, and, and godliness? Or are they headed toward maybe just a love of comfort? Maybe just a desire to, to be idle? Maybe just a desire to escape something that feels like pressure? Only the Lord can help us as we search our own hearts with that. But this woman here, at the end of all of this description of her life, it says, give her of the fruit of her hands. And that's a beautiful thing for her. The return on that wisdom, the return on that investment in her family, her employees, the community, all of that can come back and stand up and tell her just how much of a blessing that she's been toward them. It's a beautiful thing. And, and it and it sounds like a bunch of, of glamour and attention once you get to the end. But the entire passage has been filled with mundane, everyday, obeying, probably in an unnoticed way, just a life of things that aren't exactly special, that don't feel special. Things that you probably feel like you could overlook because everybody else overlooks it. Faithfully reading the Bible faithfully spending time with the Lord, faithfully serving other people, faithfully pursuing your husband or your wife to maintain the closeness. Those things feel so mundane as days stretch into months and years and decades. But at the end of it, the works of your hands are, are obvious. So there's glory and beauty in the everyday. So as we look at this entire uh, picture that the writer of Proverbs paints of wisdom, what's the overarching message of Proverbs 31? It could be really tempting, again, to say, well, it sounds like I need to get married and have kids and stay home and cook dinner and make my own clothes. You know, I started by saying that's not the point. And then you read it and you're like, well, it sure sounds like the point. Like, how should we actually, what should we actually be taking away from this? So here's the message of Proverbs 31 for men. Remember, this passage's purpose was that so the original readers could get a picture 
of the kind of wife they should be looking for and conversely the kind of 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 wives they should understand would be tempting but they need to stay away from but it also gives insights into the kind of men and husbands that they should be so let's go back through proverbs 31 and say what's proverbs 31 say for men verse 11 men should trust and have confidence in their wives rather than trying to control them verses 13 through 18 they should consider their wives to be true partners in enterprise rather than disempowered assistants. Verses 28 and 29, they should praise their wives and build them up publicly and privately. How am I doing? I have to confess that. I can be better at honoring. I can be better at encouraging. I can be more observant of how God's at work. And how can I tell her? It might seem like awkward <laughs> if you haven't done it or if it's been a long time. But the Lord says, push through it and be an encouragement. They shouldn't be afraid of strong women. Verse 10. So an excellent wife who can find. In, in the Hebrew, it says, literally, a valiant woman who can find. Almost feels like, like physical strength and might. Who can find the valiant woman? Some people say, I'm intimidated by that. I, I don't want that. Um, but they shouldn't, men should not be afraid of strong women. They should understand and be thankful. And finally, men should not be nearly as influenced by physical and sexual beauty as they are. Verse 30 says that charm is deceitful. Beauty is fleeting. So men in both ancient times and today are far too disproportionately affected by female appearance. And they're assessing and accepting and rejecting women on the basis of their looks. But then Proverbs 31 steps in and says, look at the beauty of a wise woman, of a woman of noble character. Praise her for her works. The Lord just cuts through all of that shallowness that's so easy to fall into. So for women, what is the passage, what's the meaning, what's the takeaway from this passage? It's not to be perfect. Some, some women complain that Proverbs 31 paints a picture of an ideal woman that is married and has kids. And if I don't get that, then I don't measure up. So why should we even talk about the ideal if everyone's not going to fit the ideal? It's uncomfortable if we're here and we're not fitting exactly what it sounds like. Right? Who wants to hear a standard that they're never going to meet? But I would submit to you, if we treat the scriptures like that, then we should never read 1 Corinthians 13. Whoever loves completely, whoever loves perfectly. But that doesn't mean that you just like Thomas Jefferson and out of the Bible and you just choose not to attempt to love. You celebrate the fact that God is love. You celebrate that perfect example and you do strive to reflect it in, in more ways. So this poetic figure here in Proverbs 31 is not the only woman in the Bible that is just like some objective standard. But also, this woman is described as a worthy woman, a woman of valor, right? And so sometimes we say, be that woman. But you know there's only a, one other lady in the whole scriptures that was called a woman of worth or a woman of valor or a woman of noble character? Only one other woman in the whole thing. And it was Ruth. Does Ruth fit the picture that you have in your head of what a Proverbs 31 woman would be. 
Does she play all the roles perfectly, just like you would expect? Ruth was a destitute foreigner whose daily work involved gathering, threshing, and winnowing wheat. For most of Ruth's story, she is neither a wife nor a mother. And circumstantially, her life looked nothing like the woman depicted in this passage. Ruth did not spend her days making clothes for her husband. She had no husband. She was a widow. Ruth's children did not rise up and call her blessed. For most of the story, Ruth didn't even have kids. Ruth didn't spend her days exchanging fine linens with the merchants and keeping an immaculate home. She worked all day in the sun, gleaning leftovers from other people's fields, which a provision was made for the poorest of the poor in Israel. And yet, here's what Boaz says of Ruth. Before she gets married, before she has a child, and before she becomes a woman of wealth and influence, Boaz says of her, all the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Kind of smashes the picture, right? It kind of negates that call to assimilate to a certain image. Ruth didn't fit any of that. If Ruth would have showed up for breakfast and tried to have small talk, she would have had nothing in common with that. But she's the only woman in Scripture other than this lady that was called a woman of worth. So what made Ruth that worthy woman? She trusted the Lord. She didn't have much. And what little she did have just diminished at the beginning of that story. But she understood how dependent she was on God and others. And she still pressed forward in faith. So men, women, young people, old people, all of us, what actually brings us into God's presence. Is it a passing grade on the Proverbs 31 test? No. Is it faithful church attendance? No. Is it checking all the little boxes on version off of F260? No. No works of righteousness ever gain us any favor. They're a polluted garment. They're filthy rags. And we can just so easily convince ourselves that if we play the part, that no one will be the wiser. And sometimes we even think that the Lord views us that way. So the long and short of it is that things are worse than we make them out to be, right? We're less obedient than we like to admit to our deed groups and that we like to admit to the people that we have lunch with after church. We're less faithful. We're more variable. We're more tired. We're less erudite and patient. Um, and we're just so needy. But that's right where the Lord wants us. That's where his presence and his glory shines the brightest, is when our works are not even in the way. And we're just simply trusting in the Lord. So if you take nothing else away from Proverbs 31, it's that stop trying to measure up. It's a futile effort. Look at the beautiful example that God puts forth of a, of, of a wise, worthy woman and worship the Lord, who's the beginning of all wisdom. Just be thankful for the beauty that God creates and, and that he would even be able to place an ideal before us in the first place. Celebrate him for his wisdom and any little gifts of wisdom that he may be giving to you or to your wife or to your kids or to your friends. And then strive for it. 
knowing that God does say, be holy as I'm holy. If you take nothing else away, just remember that that the Lord is not looking for our obedience and that he loves us dearly, just how we are here. He calls us into that deeper relationship, saying that your sins may be light, Starlet, but that's okay. Just trust the Lord. Let's pray together. We're going to sing, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Just another verse of it as we close. But as we consider the text this morning, ask the Lord, how can I align myself more fully with this text? Lord, give me wisdom. Lord, help me to honor the others in my life and not be in competition with them or to be jealous of their work or to be spiteful toward them. Lord, help me to repent of of ways that I know I'm not obeying you. God, we thank you for this text. We thank you that you do offer us wisdom. And we just long for a heart that doesn't try to perform and gain your favor. We long for a greater vision of you. We long to just be so entranced by your own beauty and your own holiness and your own wisdom that the things of the world would just grow strangely dim. Lord, help us to think less about ourselves and our our own needs and to trust you fully so that we can embody this. We love you, Lord, and we long to return praise to you right now. We pray this in your name. Amen.